Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. This week on The Kindness Project, we talk about vintage books and we have part one of Sam Oaks from the Financial Plan and Life podcast. Welcome to The Kindness Project, the free uh, podcast bants has already started. I'm getting stick for injuring somebody else. I'm trying to share the fact that I'm kind enough not to injure people, but apparently I've injured people in my life. But let's first do the introductions. I'm joined by a man who's just bought a camera, and he's going to tell us about it. It's Rust. And a girl who is continuing, as a podcast trend, to wear her beanie. It's Charlotte and Rust. How are we doing today, guys? That's so bad, oh, I bought something too. Oh, share your purchase. They've uh, got a vintage fair that runs here like once a month. I've like vintage clothes. But for the listeners of the podcast, where's here? Oh, Glasgow. I'm, I'm sure they'll know that by now. Yeah. So, I mean, um, regular listeners might, but as we get quite a few new listeners, I thought I'd yeah. out. So you're having Glasgow in Scotland. They've got a vintage fair. Yeah. And um, what, what what did you buy at the vintage fair? Just a couple of new t-shirts because they've got uh t- twenty pounds for a certain weight. So if you like, and I you buy them by the bag. Yeah, you buy them by the bag. Oh. Um, and if you're fourteen stone, you have to pay extra. Are you saying that heavier people need to pay more for their clothes? Well, we need to. It is true. You use more material, don't you? Well, I mean, that is true. I mean, is an extra large T-shirt more expensive than a small? Larger bras are more expensive than smaller ones. Yeah. So I don't know about bras, but... Right. So that... Tonya, are you sure? Um, Are you sure? No. Right, so let, let me give you a scenario, Russ. You're out in Glasgow. You yep. go to a, a, a vintage clothes fair um, and you turn up with a bag of clothes and um, you go to the counter and you go, I'll have this bag of clothes, please. And you and they go, I'm not going to do the accent. You'd be pleased to know. Um, no worries. Jump on the scales. <laughs> Jump on the scales. What are you going to say, Russ? No worries. Now, talking about that, I've been in places like, uh, um, what's it called, Dorothy Perkins Men or something like that, where I was looking for a suit and I wish I had a warmy girdle because they just don't go up to the right sizes. But yeah, you're quite a big fella, aren't you? Yeah, I am a, quite a large. Uh, I mean, quite... I mean, if they weigh, if they weighed, if they sold clothes based on weight. We'd be paying quite. I mean, both of us are quite big, aren't we? But we'd be pay, paying quite a lot of money. I like to think of myself as big bugs rather than large fella. Um, you can think of yourself in whatever way you want. The reality is, he's uh, big boned. Right, let's just have this conversation. He's big boned. Yeah, you you can be very broad and slim. I mean, I mean, yes, you've got a natural genetic body shape, haven't you? Yes. Potentially. But you also have some autonomy to change your body shape, either through diet or exercise. Is that fair to say? I'm I'm very large naturally and even larger as an adult through eating and stuff like that. I mean, we used to be skinny, Russ. We did. It was was a long time ago. I've still got pictures of when I was... When I was fully skinny, yeah. I remember when fully the two skinny. of you were... Well, I don't remember it myself. I remember seeing pictures of the two of you as twigs and I'm like... Yeah. Um, and I'm not in bad shape, but that shape isn't the shape it was when I was 17, clearly. It's uh, it's a bit of a different one now. It's a bit, bit chunkier, bit sort of... There's, 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 there's spare bits... Um, but but I'm I'm like I, I and I, I always think that that fitness as opposed to worrying about weight is probably the way to that, go. That was, I mean, clearly, that was, clearly carrying too much weight can have an impact on that, that as well. Was my so biggest 
when when I was at my slimmest, I was walking everywhere, doing yeah. whatever I wanted to, and I wasn't eating small meals. I'd eat a pack of pasta at a time and stuff like that, but I was exercising it off. Well, we were watching because you were down seeing us this yeah. week, Russ, weren't you? And um, uh, uh, effectively, we were watching Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares, and they had one of your pasta meals on Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares, didn't they? They did. I mean, it, there was a lot of pasta there. It looked like one of your dinners, and you did mention that. Chap, should we start a chop shop where what you charge is based on what you weigh? No. The opposite. The opposite. Every people get cheaper clothes. This is a bit, another bad habit you have. You say, should we start a shop? And then I'll get a call saying, oh, do this, Russ. Do that, Russ. Right. I need this to him, Russ. And your point being? Point being is, you say we, your primary... My, my role in it, Russ, is a different role, isn't it? My role is in the... the like, I've got to focus on what I'm good at. Which is what? <laughs> Absolutely nothing, which is why you get to do the work. <laughs> um, on, that, on that note, on that note, um, what did I want to talk about? Oh, yeah, right. Here's what I'm going to talk about as well. We'll get on some podcast-related stuff. I'm writing book number three at the minute. Um, so uh, just for our podcast listeners, uh, book number two, The Kindest Project book, is available on Amazon. Uh, we'll put the links on the show notes. Um, it's selling fairly well, as far as I know. Um, and I'm speaking at loads of events at the minute, promoting the book, talking about our journey um, uh, through the last five years of the Kindness Project, uh, talking a lot about my mum, which is very cathartic, interestingly. I'm really enjoying talking about... Uh, my mum, uh, when I go out and speak at events, uh, if you've read the book, you know the story. If you haven't read the book, um, it's quite a personal one for all of us, isn't it, really? Because that, I think I share the story about our experience heading back to Tokyo on the bullet train, crying our eyes out, Charlotte, in the book. I don't um, remember you crying. I remember me uh, I was, sobbing like a child. I was in tears. I, I was in I, I was in absolute state. Don't oh, you remember? You've always been a bit emotional, though, haven't you? Now, I never cried once until I got home, and that was only for, like, four minutes, five minutes. Um, I haven't been able to to cry. You know, you, know what my, you know what my experience with being more open emotionally is? The older I get, the more it happens. Yeah, I don't know where I lost that, though, because I was quite an emotional... Well, you haven't lost it, I don't think. I was quite an emotional child. But I've gone totally the opposite way, where where I can't show emotion now. Yeah, I I I think I mean, look, I'm no psychologist, but I think sometimes we we do that to protect ourselves. Would you agree with that, Charlotte? Mm. But if we're protecting us, if we think we're protecting ourselves at the expense of our own mental health, we need to think about, I think, being more open emotionally. That would be my perspective on it. If we're talking about if we're talking about Nan, one of the things I remember about after she died was and I always think about it, sort of like it's part of my train of thought whenever I think about it, is when at the funeral Russ got stuck. <laughs> when was that? He got stuck. <laughs> And everyone was laughing, and it's, it's, I always think about it. Um, he got trapped when he oh, was trying yeah. to get out of the pew. I, I, I remember now. He, he got trapped in the pews. Yeah, he was drunk. He was like one side, and Kate was the other side of me. Yeah. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get out and I, when we was praying the roses. Yeah, and I, I remember hearing someone say, as everyone was laughing, this is what she would have wanted. And it was just like... You know what? This this is the important thing. Like, I, I, I'm talking... When I'm going out and talking about the book, I'm talking about the fact that um, part of the... Part of the one of the things I'm grateful for, and it sounds like a weird thing to be grateful for, but part one of the things that I'm really grateful for is being able to talk to her about what she want, wanted at the funeral and who she wanted to speak and all of that sort of stuff. And not everybody gets that opportunity. Um, um, but 
she said, I want it to be full of funny stories. Yeah. I want Russ to get stuck in a pew. I want, <laughs> I mean, she didn't say that specifically. That's exactly what she said. I, I didn't, I didn't, you did it on purpose, Russ, didn't you? I, 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 I don't think she said that specifically, but I, I, I agree that she would have appreciated yeah, that. Yeah, and it's just yeah. one of the things yeah. I always think about is just how everyone broke into laughter and it was just like. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know what? I mean, mum, mum memories of Nan and, and, and mum are, um, funny. Yeah. I always remember, like, playing. Cards against humanity with her, and her just, and I'm not going to mention the it, sort it of stuff she came out with. But, but, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, joy, it was I, a joy. It was a joyful experience. I know the card you're talking about. I think I actually stole it. I think it's actually on my shelf. Yeah, you kept it, didn't you? Yeah, it's you, you my, kept it's it as a, you took it out of the pack and kept it as a memory. I remember. Um, yeah, so 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 there's all of that is really good. So. So here's, here's where I am, right? So speaking a lot about book number two, Kindness Project uh, book available now. We've put the Kindness Project Chris Dames into Amazon. You'll find it. Uh, we'll put in all the show notes. Um, and uh, if you're in either London or uh, Essex and you've got um, uh, an audience you'd like to come and talk to about kindness and our experience through the uh, through the podcast and through writing the book. Feel free to get in touch. I'm doing that at the minute. Um, uh, my aim for the Kindness Project book is to r- raise as much money as possible for um, the hospice and Francis Hospice, where 100 percent of the profits are going to. So, if you'd like me to come with a handful of copies of the book books that i could sell on the on the day when i speak uh and you um you want uh somebody to whatever audience you've got um to uh feel a bit inspired by people doing good in the world uh which i've been told the presentation does um uh, uh let me know get in touch you can well how can people email us we haven't done that for a while have we? Follow at the kindness project.co.uk the holla H O L A at the kindness project that that code at UK. She does. Um I've known uh, like that since like end of year one, Russ. You it's yeah. very good to know, Charlotte. Do you know um, we don't have an Instagram? But no, all friends are united. But if you like Instagram at one point, but it just posted like yeah, it wasn't all that. Yeah, no, it was just sort of repostings of like the box photos from the episodes. Yeah, the episodes. Yeah. But but if you like me to do that, happy to have to get involved, time permitting, um, as always. Is that, love, is that love... best to reach out to you on your own personal Twitter? I was going to say yeah, Facebook. Yeah, at Chris Dames, but then, then that's not a job I can delegate to Russ. Because I deal with my own personal Twitter. So, so look at him shaking his head. No. So, yeah, get in touch if you'd like, and we're happy to come along. As I say, my aim with the Kindness Project book is to make sure we're raising as much, sharing the stories of kindness, sharing the stories of inspiration and optimism, and making sure that as many people feel as that there is hope in the world. So, so love, would love to do that. Here's my question for book number three. Okay. Feel free to reach out to me on my personal Twitter at Charlotte J Dames, uh, but do know it will eventually get back to Russ down the pipeline. Flagrant <laughs> self promotion. <laughs> well, reach out on my Twitter that I never use. <laughs> so, so just bear in mind that the more you email us, the more Russ gets to do the work. <laughs> So even though even though we're Charlotte and I are completely relaxed about that, Russ's idea of opening a shop in Norwich, the best city in the world, that basically charges you based on how much you weigh personally, called now, Scales for You, is the name of the shop. We could have called it um, Fat Face, but there's already a shop. <laughs> fat Face was already taken, so apparently Russ said. So Scales for You is what we're going to be calling it. That will be deferred. Now, because that is the worst business idea I've ever heard in my life, we don't want Russ to open that shop. So please send us as many emails as you can, now, is what I'm Russ, saying. From Russ's point of view, you're more than welcome to email. I'm quite happy to ignore you. 
<laughs> oh. <laughs> Welcoming, Russ. That's what we want on the Kindness Project, clearly. Right, so let me get to the book, the question that I'm um, contemplating today. Because as you know, guys, and the podcast listeners uh, might not, today is a Friday. Today is meant to be my writing day. Yep. I've actually got some writing done today for my third book. What genre have you gone with? It's business. Um, sorry? Business related, isn't it? It's a, a combination of romance, sci-fi, horror and fantasy. How does that sound? What, what happened to that dystopia novel you were working on? Oh, and dystopia. I'm adding <laughs> that bit on the edge. Is that book in an end of the world, fat face... From the future. <laughs> Fat face from the future. Buy him, buy him, buy him for your husband. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Um, right, no. The book is called What Happens Next. Uh, it is going to be business. Uh, <laughs> Nothing. Um, what happens next? You open a shop in Norwich just for large people. Um, uh, no, what it's going to be called What Happens Next, and it's about that transition we all make in our lives when we hit middle age. Charlotte, clearly you don't know. I I'm mean, getting there. Yeah, yeah, you take your time, mate. Um, but when we hit our sort of 40s and 50s and thinking about after a successful career, what, what else we might want to do with our lives, and I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about happiness and well-being and what one to write about. Because is consistent and constant happiness actually I don't think a... Can, I don't think you can be consistently and constantly happy. Yeah, this is the interesting thing. I don't think you can either. I think no. we, we can improve our, our overall well-being... Yeah. But and, and 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 again, be happier more often. But I don't think the aspiration is just a level state of consistent happiness. I, I, just... I, I think life is life is not about being happy. It's overcoming the challenges the best way you can. To be honest, for a man who had the worst business idea in the world ten minutes ago, that was very insightful, Russ. Thanks, Jarvis. <laughs> It's not that quick, but that's the way I feel. In from my personal experience, it's it's having the time to overcome the challenges. And when you're truly happy is when you have succeeded in overcoming the, a challenge, but there's always a challenge to overcome. How about how about just enjoyable experiences in your... I find oh, it quite, it's I, a bit more difficult for us. Go on. I find it quite hard to enjoy experiences, but that's only... that. That's a personal thing with my anxieties and, yeah. and that's something yeah. I'm trying to work on. So. Yeah. But again, some of the challenges might be trying those experiences and realising you but can one, do it. You know? once, I've done, once I've done them, the feeling of elation is there. Yeah. Uh, actually getting to the point of doing them is it, a lot harder than, than it's Yeah, happened. and, and, and uh, I think you're right. I think that's personal for you, isn't it, in terms yeah. of... In terms of that. What's your, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's personal for everybody, but what I'm trying to do is writing the book in a way that isn't generic, but is helpful to as many people as possible because I want it I want it to be practically specific but I don't want it to be so yeah I'm, I'm just so what's your take on happiness versus well-being Janet? I think like happiness versus well-being or oh, happiness and well-being let's put it that way I think happiness is more of like a temporary sort of like it comes and goes and well-being is something <laughs> both are temporary but like you know I think sometimes you have to struggle a little bit to be you know yeah. okay yeah um, I, I think consistent happiness is a fallacy because you need challenge and a bit of resistance and yeah. I don't know, I've, what do you think? I've seen a lot of um, like pieces of media that sort of criticise the nature of fairy tale endings which I think is sort of similar to the 
like you know yeah. being happy forever idea there's just the, yeah. the pieces of media that criticize the idea of happily ever after um, yeah uh, which, is, really which, is, which is i think part of the problem is we aspire to that yeah. when in reality life just isn't like that yeah, is it it's just, and um like a lot of these things that criticize this are like they have the happily happy ending and then there's life after and you still yeah. got to do the struggles of life after. what happens next what yeah. happens next is a lot of things that fairy tales and stuff like that don't and it doesn't the problems don't just stop because you've had one good ending you've still got things to do you've still got struggles to go through in life but you you keep fighting and you keep reaching that happy ending and you can have multiple happy sort of conclusions in life but isn't that what well-being's about continuing that continuing to grow develop and learn as a they don't go hand in hand. Yeah. Focus in yeah, yeah, that that I might pinch that as a concept for the book. Like the fallacy of the fairy tale ending and how in fact we are all on a journey of learning development and, and yeah, it's an interesting one. I like, yeah, I really a like lot it. of a lot of fiction media that challenges fairy tale endings uh, and happily ever afters is just really interesting to me, and I just love it. I love it as a concept of like um, as a concept of things addressed in fiction media. So just the question that's all I that's what my brain associates it with. Yeah. Um, you know what? You know what the other uh, there's a really good philosopher I like a guy called Alan de Burton, the modern day philosopher, and he talks about the concept of and again this is the f- fictional concept that we've all bought into as an aspirational goal romanticism Mm. like we like this element where you fall in love and there's such a thing as a perfect partner like life partner and there's like as soon as you love at first sight and all of this sort of stuff when in reality relationships aren't perfect any relationship has sort of quirks and it takes work from both sides because this idea of finding your one or finding the right person for you is actually destructive to the way we get into relationships because the assumption is that once you find your one that's it and in reality is you've always got to try and consistently that's the way life used to be though i'm i'm i've talked to people they're in their 60s, 70s now. Like Kelly's mum and dad, they've been married 42 years, couldn't see themselves being with anybody else. And that generation was very much like that. That was. I, I, I don't agree, Russ. I mean, I, I think that, and again, it depends on. I think you probably need a bit of a broader perspective than one couple. You need to speak, speak to a lot of couples like this. But it always takes work, doesn't it? And it always takes compromise. And it always takes. A focus on like assuming that you just meet somebody, fall in love, and it like you never disagree, you never argue, oh, no, you I, never. I, I, you I don't think that's ever happened. Yeah, people yeah, might. Well, you, with them, people might when you think it happens, but it, it just doesn't. Yeah, but I don't think there's a generational shift. I think I think there's pro- there's probably a shift in societal expectations and pressures. Yeah, I, I think there certainly is. Cause, There's cause of the, actually the... evidence to suggest uh, that um, the increase in secularisation has a, has been sort of like, you know, affecting stuff like divorce rates and stuff because people wouldn't get divorced because religion was like, hey, yeah. you know, you can't... Yeah. You can't get divorced because it goes against God, and people would just stay in marriages to sort of. Yeah, like... but again, it goes back to that thing of like, like that are those marriages happy, or are they just people putting up with each other? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think probably, yeah. interesting. Right, we have chatted quite a lot, which I've loved, and thank you for your insights. Um, into well-being and happiness the fairy tale concept i'm definitely going to steal thank you charlotte russell would you mind me not putting the uh idea of a closed <laughs> shop um that where you've got to get weighed as you go in to buy your clothes i'm not going to put that in the next book if you don't mind well my feelings now <laughs> And on that note, let's move on to the next part of the show, which is... Russell Dame's One Line Wonder. Uh... <laughs> Russell Dame's is One Line Wonder. Give us... Yeah, no, no. New new concept. We'll come on to kindness news at the minute. Uh, Russell's... Uh... Russell Dame's is One Line Wonder of Wisdom. Give us your best line of wisdom, Russ. Always buy a ninja product. <laughs> Good advice. And on...
on that note, we will be bringing back Russell Davies' one line wonder of wisdom next week. So be prepared, Russ. And on that note, let's move on to And you can do you can do this this week, Charlotte. Yeah, I've got loads of I prepped for this. Okay. Oh fundraiser for victims of earthquake in Turkey and Syria. I'm trying to ignore the little one in, in your camera machine. <laughs> He's popping air in. Okay. Norfolk residents are being invited to a fundraising event for the victims of the recent earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. Hold on. Hold on. We are a global <laughs> podcast. We are a global podcast with thousands of listeners across, across the world. Why are we focusing on some small, tiny provincial town in the UK? You know, like, like Norfolk. No, there was nowhere better, in my opinion, than Norwich. <laughs> right, but but for our for our American listeners and our Canadian, do they know? Do they even they, they'll know London, Russ? No. Are they going to know? They know Norwich City, the Yo Yo Club, Norwich, Norwich. What? <laughs> 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 right, got it. Tell us about what's going on in that small provincial backwater. <laughs> in partnership with local Turkish and Syrian residents in Norfolk, Norfolk County. <laughs> I'm watching Dad's reaction as a reason. This is like Alan Partridge, honestly. It's just. Nor- Are we Norfolk... on North Norfolk Digital all of a sudden? Well, this is from oh. um, Norfolk County Council, so. Um, <laughs> Sorry, are we the propaganda arm for Norfolk County Council now? <laughs> right, no, genuinely though, the, what's going on in Syria and Turkey and yeah. the earthquake is serious. So stop making a joke of it, Russ, please. Let's talk about this seriously. Okay. Norfolk County Council. Stop County. cheering every time Charlotte says Norfolk <laughs> and doing it silently so nobody sees you. Yeah? I can see you. <laughs> off to do it so he doesn't make any sound. <laughs> Norfolk County's council specialist social work team, the people from abroad. I'm going to minimise you both. <laughs> the... Oh no, it doesn't minimise you all the way. Anyway. Um... <laughs> like, remember we're on a podcast, Charlotte, please. Okay. Um... Are holding a fundraising event from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. on Sunday, 19th of March, Blackfriars Hall. This all-ticket event will feature presentations about the impact of the earthquake on the Turkish and Syrian communities locally and in the earthquake zone. Tickets cost £40 each with all proceeds. I was going to say proceedings. I was like, that doesn't make sense contextually. Going to charity and are now available for this event. Local Turkish and Syrian restaurants and caterers are providing a buffet meal and there will be a raffle along with some entertainment, including music from Bilal Alasali, a British-based Syrian singer and entertainer. With the fundraiser due to be held on Mothering Sunday, the focus will be on the Turkish and Syrian mothers and grandmothers who have been affected by the disaster, as well as all those sadly killed during the earthquakes. Leader of the North Council said the devastation caused by those these earthquakes and the Im- images that have emerged as rescuers have worked tirelessly to save lives have moved us all. Is that it? Yeah, there's there's a huge chunk more, but it's just details on the event. Right. So, so I'm I'm gonna give a shout out to some guests that we're trying to get booked now. Um, there's a. Um, I went to, I think I mentioned about, uh, I mentioned um, it, it uh, on last week's episode. There's a um, amazing, I went, uh, uh, not not this week, the week, week before, I went to an amazing event called Uca- Ukraine Rocks to raise money from Ukrainian uh, refugees. And all of the proceeds went to an organisation called uh, Refugee Support UK. A guy called Paul runs that. And he's currently in Turkey and Syria to see what he can do, Refugee Support UK, to help those guys um, uh, uh, cope with the devastation of losing your home better. So amazing stuff that they're doing. We're going to be interviewing them and showcasing the brilliant work they do um, later on. He's booked, yeah. So we've we've got him in, and I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, And just, just, yeah, I mean, I think for me it comes back to that fact that how 
how lucky are we? Do you know what I mean? Like to to live in a place that which is relatively secure, relatively relatively um, wealthy. Um, we're not going to yeah, hopefully lose our homes or lose it, lose our lives. Um, so knowing that, can we help people who really need their help? And uh, as a common humanity, support people. I certainly did uh, by going to the event, but also making an additional donation after. I'm really, I'm really pleased. And I'd recommend that if you can, if you can afford it. I know it's tough for a lot of people. You help people in that, that diet straits too. Yeah, I agree. Bad. Okay. Next story is about a, uh, uh, a struggling bookshop, something we all love bookshops, um, and how Twitter and Kindness saved those struggling bookshops. COVID lockdowns and the cost of living crisis has massively altered UK high streets. Over 17,000 shops closed their doors for good in 2022, with independent retailers, many of which are the lifeblood of communities, hit hardest. Consumers, however, aren't prepared to take these. Uh, changes lying down. Sapphire Bates, owner of Book Bodega, love that name, in Ramsgate. Um, what would you call your shop, Russ? Have we decided or not? What would I call my shop? Well, book yeah, shop. Yeah, um, yeah, a bookshop where to buy books you've got to get weighed as you come in. Think books about it. One. Books for you. Route one. Um, posted Sapphire Bates, owner of Book Bodega in Ramsgate, Kent. Posted an appeal to Twitter this week after quite a few months threatened to shut their seafront establishment. Winter is killing us, wrote Sapphire, alongside a picture of an empty store. It's so quiet and we need to make £800 by Tuesday to pay our bills. Within hours, celebrity celebrities including crime writer Ian Rankin and presenter Sue Perkins have chaired the post and there it's been viewed by over 6 million people. Not only was Book Bodega saved, it found a new base of passionate customers around the world and sparked an outpouring of support for both Ramsgate and independent businesses. Um, uh, Sapphire continues, my friend friend suggested just being honest on book twitter and sharing a link to our online shop to see if anybody wanted to buy a book we thought it was worth a go and posted it it uh, as expected expecting to sell sell eight or nine books and get closer to paying the bills um the book sellers account went from 500 twitter, twitter followers followers to 8800 and the income generated through the publicity save that bookshop now it's an interesting one isn't it you know we all we're all guilty i i certainly am of buying my books on amazon you know uh that that's probably the go-to to get books um but i'm also a massive advocate of small business as you guys know we run a small family business yeah, and and the importance of those small business people to a local community and economy are huge, and I know that the big like the big companies give a lot of employment and stuff like that, but having the small business owners and supporting small business owners in your local community, I think, is vital. What do you guys think? I, I think that's very important. And I think I think you get you get diversity when 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 you have a mix of big business with with smaller, more bespoke. Yeah, yeah it makes you a diverse economy, right? That's the important I, thing. I, I think I've, I've noticed on in particularly in our town, it's full of places to eat, betting shops, no no sort of clothes or anything like that they've all shut down because people didn't support them yeah so there's a what you're saying Russ, there's a gap in the marketplace for for what a clothes shop mm. what would be a good model for that Russ? i've got nowhere to put the waybridge <laughs> the waybridge how many of the people coming into the shop are you oh. assuming yeah, you well, what's what's be... better with a set of scales? Oh, you've got to be proper, Abby, to come in my shop. <laughs> right, so to come in your shop, is there a minimum weight? And if so, oh, what well, is it? 
If, if you're under 26 stone, the clothes will fit you like a tent. You've got a minimum weight of 26 stone? Yeah. Interesting. On that on that note, Charlotte's cringing a bit. Charlotte's cringing a bit. I had something to say. And now it's, now it's leaving me slowly, so I'm going to get out quickly before it's all gone in the tent-like clothes that Russ is going to be selling in his shop on the weekend. Go on, tell us, Charlotte. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm, I think I'm really lucky that, like, there's a lot of chains and stuff around here, but there's also a lot of, like, little independent places, and there's a couple of places where it's, like, they're not entirely, like, independent, but they're still small businesses, like, yeah. there's a couple of places where there's, like, we've got one or two, uh, we've got multiple locations within the city, but it's all run within just, like, and I like, I like going to, like, the little independent game stores as well, which is always yeah. fun. Well, that's the thing. You just get, you just get diversity. And my experience is that that you get proper experts in those shops because they're passionate yeah. about what they do. You know, there, there's a re- I mean, I mean, near 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 where we live, there's a um, shout out to the hop in. There's a there's a award winning um, microbrewery, and you go in there, and instead of just like sort of meeting friends for a drink in the pub. We go in the microbrewery and there's a story around what you're, you know, and it's completely different in terms of concepts. Let's move on because we have chatted quite a lot on this episode and it's going to be a long one. Let's move on to the interview. The interview today is with a guy called Sam Oates. Um, Sam does loads of amazing stuff, runs a brilliant recruitment business, um, but also talks a lot about uh, mental health and is an advocate for a mental health charity. Part one of the episode is now. Let's talk to him. Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the Kindness Project. How are you today? I'm really well. I'm good. Like I said, I'm just a bit all over the place. I'm at my brother's house looking after his um, two boys whilst he gets to go away and enjoy his birthday. So, where where's your brother going for his birthday? Do you know what? I don't even know. I think it's. Such... <laughs> he just said, "Have the kids. I'm off." He just said, "Have the kids. I'm off." Exactly. That's pretty much what happens. And I get left this like note with all the things that I've got to do, oh, and yeah. it just confuses the hell out of me. But and uh... it sounds like you've got a, a bit of a fun evening on your hands because your daughters are coming over as well. So you've got three under eights in the house. Is that right? Three under eights, and when they get to get together, especially my daughter Isabella and Teddy, once they get together, they are just terrors. Amazing. So um, I'll be looking forward to that tonight. I think it might be an early, had, early night for them. I had a really interesting conversation this week. I've had a couple actually about my kids are a little bit older. So so Charlotte's eighteen, she's at uni. Yeah. So it's ten, and the two conversations I had this week were around the lines of. Um, there was somebody who had, who had a sort of three-year-old and I said I'm never going to experience that because we don't plan on having any more kids I'm never going to experience that like sort of really exciting period of the a child's life where they're doing all the nude stuff yeah um, uh, but I also realized in a subsequent conversation that I'll miss the bits where they're jumping around and you can't control them and all that sort of stuff so it's a, there's always a double-edged element to it isn't there <laughs> yeah, and sometimes, and the thing is, you know, you think to yourself, I remember when, when Isabella was little, and I thought, God, you know, I can't wait till this is over. But once it's over, it's over. Yeah, yeah, there, there is that, there is that element to it. We will, and I, I know with, with all our guests, I send over a, a bunch of preparatory conversations, but warn you that we might go off on a tangent. Yep. And I think that tangent's going to start before we even begin the interview. But the bit that's interesting for me, and this is something when I look at my own life, I've, I've reflected on quite a lot. When you had Isabella as your daughter, isn't it? Yep. When you had Isabella, did your perspective on life change? Honestly, in the first two years, I would say no. And I'll give you a reason why. It was because I was suffering quite badly with stress anxiety and I had mental health conditions and I was also on and off drinking a lot as well and I said as soon as I had my daughter that would change because I grew up really in a family with a an alcoholic father and I said that I'll never do that and it took me two years to actually 
to stop that. So no, it didn't. I really thought it would change my perspective. My perspective changed about three and a half years ago when I chose a different path in life. And now my perspective around being a father is like amazing like i absolutely yeah. love it it's I've, I've 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 really taken to it because i'm less self-absorbed if that makes sense yeah it's when you get the ego out of the way isn't it it's yes sometimes when when that that perspective changes so we we've, we've explored that a little bit and i'm sure we'll explore explore that during the thing but just for, our, for the purposes of our listeners and so we can actually get a proper introduction sure. saying before we start the interview tell our listeners a little bit about you Okay, so I'm Sam and I run a recruitment business called Recruit UK and I have done for 15 years. In the last couple of years, I've also set a brand called the Financial Planner Life um, and that's going from strength to strength. I set that up initially as a podcast to um, provide an insight and a, a window into the financial planning profession because the profession itself is lacking in, in its ability to attract second careerists and uh, graduates and in, basically interest from anybody to come and join it as a career it's it's hemorrhage is losing financial advisors because the aging population of advisors there's a huge amount of people out there that need financial advice so i thought right what can i do i brought on financial advisors onto my podcast and i got them to talk about their careers and it's gone from strength to strength so i've been doing that for the last couple of years uh, years over 100 episodes and with the financial planner life it's developing into like a networking tool so i'm interviewing fintech companies now and i'm doing setting up marketing community i've got all these different facets and yesterday i was in at st james's place doing a wellness and well-being presentation around men's mental fitness and men's mental health so it's um it's really been allowing me to be creative because i'm a very much a creative at heart so a businessman i would say entrepreneurial uh, individual um fitness fanatic fitness health and well-being living a very happy grateful life really that's me amazing good stuff um and what i mean we i want to talk about clients primarily but as we're as we're talking about financial planning element and in terms of what you do help me understand what you think the gap is because i i've been a financial planner now for 20 years and i absolutely love it i think it's yep. one of the best jobs in the world why can't we attract people into our profession as as much as some of the other professions like law and accountancy do you think well i think there isn't a direct route into the profession um as laid out as such for accountants and solicitors right their, con their connection between universities accountants and solicitors has been there for a long long time there's always been a simple entry route into the profession in fact it's probably massively oversubscribed now the financial planning profession has only really become a profession in the last decade you know yeah, it's evolved doesn't it yeah it's evolved it's still quite young yeah yeah before that it was sales wasn't it you know i didn't think it had a real difficulty in attracting people when it was more of a sales type role pre-rdr it wasn't an issue um but what you'll find now is as well is that a lot of financial planning firms just don't talk about the career of a financial advisor so if you go on their websites it's very much around what they do and what they can do for the client and more often than not it's very vanilla and boring so even if I was somebody interested in, oh, I wonder what the financial advisor does, not there. No yeah, one's really yeah. talking about it. No one's educating about the career of. So financial planning firms need to up their game and they need to talk about on their websites the culture and the values of their business and what it's like to work there within it, intertwine that in with the con you know, the values and the culture of what what are the type of clients that they yeah, recommend. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, and that's the challenge, isn't it? That's where we. That's where there's a there's a bit of gap. And I know there's a lot of innovations going on in the profession about yes. doing that. But I think, as you say, we're still relatively early on in that in that journey. Now we are called the Kindness Project for a reason, so we could talk about um, financial planning for a yeah. I'm more than able to do that on a typical Tuesday. But as Fridays are my Kindness Project day. I want to talk about how both in business and in life you you know, your kindness is is part of your life and i know that we share some values in that regard but also i want to really focus later on in the interview on men's mental health and the challenges we've we've got there um let's first talk about i think we start the interview talking about some of the challenges you've faced along the way tell me a little bit about them 
So when you say challenges, challenges in what respect? In business or? Uh, yeah, let's talk about the business ones first. Okay, cool. So I think like with anybody who, 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 who embarks on a career, right? I was 27 years old. I moved from financial services as a trainer. I used to train out financial products for Aviva. I moved into recruitment because I wanted to earn money. That was my, you know, I was about 27 years old. So I was quite, I was quite um, old, really, to get into recruitment. It's quite a younger individual's game. People used to do it when they graduate from university. So I wanted to earn some money. I moved into into the recruitment profession. Um, and some of the struggles that I experienced in the very, very beginning, I, I kind of fell into it, right? After about two years of, of being quite good at it, um, it was a very small little business. And it was quickly established that I was probably the highest biller there. Two, two guys left and Stuart, who was running the business, thought, oh, no, if Sam leaves, there goes my business. Right. So he, off he offered me 50%. And I took it because I'm an entrepreneurial type individual and I always wanted to have my own business. So I took this 50%, but by doing so, I went onto a director's salary. And when I went onto a director's salary, I no longer earned any bonus. So the sneaky bug, <laughs> the sneaky bugger. Your income it, actually went down. Yeah. Yes. Welcome to the world of business ownership. Yeah, you? exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so then what ensued then was um, a long journey of building a business. And, you know, I wasn't a business owner i didn't own a business i was somebody who was just doing what i wanted the way i wanted and the money the way i wanted so i had to kind of learn so many different aspects of running a business and the type of person that i am sales and marketing driven and wanting to look good i started to invest a lot of time in the marketing side and the development of the brand and all that kind of stuff and it just you just hit wall after wall after wall when you're starting from scratch hiring the wrong people not having the right processes and you fail 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 and i would honestly say i've been doing it for like nearly 15 years and i would honestly say over the last two years it's it's what now where i feel like i've i'm getting it in the corner yeah i've got an amazing team around me managers i've got individuals that are doing crazy you know really good things we've broken the processes down we've simplified things we've got an amazing marketing team you know all of a sudden they're surrounding myself with better people yeah. delivering better processes better development plans for individuals, putting the employees at the heart of what we're doing as opposed to what I think is right, for instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive, I mean, a massive impact. And the people we've got around us now, the values are fantastic, you know? Yeah. And that's what you need, good support around you. As soon as I let go of the reins, let go of control, that was when I started to actually really enjoy myself. Yeah, empowering people to do to do the best they can is a, is a big step, isn't it? Yeah. How much of that, how much of that and... and Funny enough, that coincides with the changes you made in your own life. How much of that was about you? A lot. Yeah, yeah. I was, I think I was a control freak. Right, okay. Yeah, I was holding on to the reins. I wanted things done my way. I wanted people to do the things that I wanted them to do. Yeah, I, wasn't, yeah. I wasn't taking into account individuality personal yeah. personal issues within lose, essentially losing out on the talent as well right yeah. you know, the talent people have got by by doing that that's that that that's interesting and talk to me about the what's the biggest change you think personally you've made in the last couple of years that have, uh, that's got you to this point happy i would be our better business one, one words I, you know, I did this. I went to St James's Place yesterday, and I did a, a, a men's mental fitness and wellness. I hosted, hosted, and presented to to loads of financial advisors about men's mental health and men's international health. Tower. I've suffered with my mental health for years from a very, very young age. I was up and down with anxiety, depression. I was always somebody that drank quite a lot, quite a binge drinker. You know, used that as my means to deal with my stress, etc. Thursday, Friday night, Saturday, yeah. came to a point where three and a half years ago, I hit the rock bottom, and I just could not understand how i could carry on living my life the way that i was living my life i was i was beaten into submission basically and that day i i put my hand up and i asked for help and i ended up having to go to a 12-step process and, and actually get myself stopping drinking alcohol and one of the most amazing things happened that day when i put my hand up for 10 years i tried to stop fail stop fail stop fail typical of somebody that's caught up in a bad habit but that day i walked into that room the obsession left me because i at that stage understood and learned the power of listening and talking i listened to all these other people who were expressing that drinking wasn't their major problem it was their thinking 
And as soon as they started talking about what was going on in their heads, I was instantly able to identify with them what was going on in my head. And no word of a lie, Chris, that day, the obsession around drinking and not drinking left me. It completely left me and I haven't had a drink three and a half years. And it was that day that my transformational change happened. Now, you th I thought drinking was my problem. I removed that and I was left with me. I was left with like, you know, there's, a, there's this saying in like the 12 steps, ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? Because like, you're just left with this wreck around you and your brain's not working and you can't think straight. So I had to kind of reprogram. I had to there's nowhere to hide, right? Yeah, there's I had no to deal with my problems. And I had to work through a program that helped me identify basic, like CBT, cognitive behavior. Mm -hmm. I had to identify these thoughts in my head. What's real? What's false evidence appearing real? And I had to work a program and I had to do that. And part of that program was also working on myself, but then working to help others. Yeah, amazing. And that, the, the value that, helping others gives to your own life right because you yes. learn from them but also kindness to others kicks in all of those things what i'm interested in sam and again if there's anything that you're not comfortable sharing please don't okay. uh, i, I want to make sure that this is a safe space to have a conversation what was the biggest story you were telling yourself that wasn't true biggest story I was telling myself that wasn't true was I was not good enough that was, every single day I was carrying around a voice in my head that was constantly attacking me and it was constantly putting me down and it was constantly telling me that everything I was doing was not good enough I was never good enough and it and it was constant like it was it was absolutely constant and we talk about kindness right and one of the things I learned through meditation was being able to sit with that voice and identify that voice. Yeah. Well, I started to put a name to it and I started to put a face to it and I started to create this character in my head. And when I created this character in my head, it was this, it was this, it was this scared little boy. Yeah. It was this emancipated, scared little boy who was was full of fear and also full of resentment and and was hiding and he was six seven years old almost and and, and i can i can describe it as being golem like right from lord of the rings yeah 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 gotcha. and i used to meditate on it and that voice would come in and you know what i started to do and i learned this through something michael singer the um untethered soul was to be able to sit in a seat within your consciousness and be able to observe that voice and i started from that seat talking in a kind and loving way to the golemesque character and i built a relationship and i started to be kind and loving because ultimately what would i do if i sit if a five or six year old little boy who was scared as that in my head came to me materialized in front of me i want to put my arms around them i want to tell them everything's going to be okay thing isn't it this is the this is su such an interesting point you make we wouldn't treat other people the way that we treat ourselves sometimes you know you'd never ever you know want to impose the self-doubt we impose on ourselves <laughs> to other people we just wouldn't do it we'd want to be a positive encouraging thought um, but it's being, as you say, it's being aware of that and managing that is the is 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 the big um, is the big talking point. Now, again, I've, I've sent you the question, but I'm going to jump around a bit because we're on this particular subject. What do you think it is about men that mean that we are not particularly good? Initially, unless we learn to at those conversations. <sighs> I think it's a, an ingrained idea that we have what masculinity looks like what masculinity looks like and what we've been encouraged to believe is what a man should do, which is shut up and get on with it. And I think it's been I think it's probably been since like the war, I think. Yeah. I think more so then where you just had to shut up and get on with it. You, you know, you didn't show your emotions because you couldn't during a period like that. And it's yeah. almost kind of like 
that war mind, you know, like if you're going through it as a civilian or whether you're going through it as you're going to war, that uncertainty, and you've just got to get on with it, right? And that yeah. I admire and the mind is great. But I think generations of families have, have passed that down and that's the idea of what there a man is, should be. I also... There is a difference between resilience and emotional openness. And I don't think they're mutually exclusive. You know, it's no. interesting. Um, I think it's that. that. But I also I also think it's just, again, it's masculinity, right? It's this idea that men shouldn't show their emotions. It's very interesting because I speak to men and they talk to they talk to their wives or they talk to their girlfriends, but they won't talk to another guy. But girls will sit with each other and talk to each other about anything. Right. So let, let, I've, I've got to tell you this story. I'm, and again, I've shared this quite a lot, both on the interview I did this morning and, you know, I've just talked about it quite a lot this week. I am. Um, I became a chartered financial planner in 2019, but didn't get the chance to do graduation until Friday. Right, yeah, well done. I was really pleased about taking my dad. Um, uh, uh, we um, we had a lovely day. My wife came down, my dad came down, my cousin um, came down, she was over from Jersey, and we had lunch at Tom Kerrigan's place in London. And we're all sitting there chatting, and my dad's sitting next to me. And my dad's 70, so I'm like you, I'm in my 40s. My dad's 70-odd. 74, I think. Uh, I might have aged him there by a year. I might be in a bit of trouble. For him. Um, but he um, he he uh, turned around to me and said, um, you know what, your granddad, who I was really close to growing up, your granddad would have loved to be here because he'd be so proud of you. And I was like, I was, I was super emotional. So I had tears in my eyes. I was like, thank you for saying that. That means a lot. I, I love you, Dad. I hope you know that. And he turned around to me and went, I feel the same way. Oh. And my, no, but my in, in, instant reaction is, you are allowed to say you love me, right? You are allowed to be as emotionally open just to be really direct and go, you know what, I love you too. And yeah. it's, it's interesting, isn't it? How And, I, I, and again, I'd I, I, be interested, really interested in your perspective on this. We have made progress in terms of in more open conversations. But even my dad, who's like super supportive and you know, like does loads of stuff right, just has got this perception of masculinity that stops him having that conversation with somebody who's really close. What do you think? I think it's a generational thing. I think it's yeah. changing. I think, you know, your likes of Stormzy, your likes of Tyson Fury, Paddy the Baddy from the UFC, all opening up and talking about their mental health problems and talking about their emotions and also talking about the severity of if you don't deal with it, where it can actually go, ultimately suicide. I mean, three quarters of all suicides in the UK are male. More men report psycholo have psychological issues but seek less help than women do. So they have more psychological problems. Yeah, you know. So we, we, we are, we are, men are just inherently not going to solve, going out to look to solve their mental health problems. They're burying them and they're minimizing them. But I do believe it's a generational thing. I believe the generation coming through, and that's not to say that young men are all of a sudden going to be saved, right? Because no. No. Young men are on a, and we're doing a lot of work around boys at the moment. And young men are, imagine, you know, imagine this, Chris, right? You and I have, you and I have been in a generation, right, where we weren't even mobile phones. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And look at it now, the accessibility, as soon as you enter this world, how connected we are to this super highway of information and marketing of what we think of what you think you should of what the internet thinks and marketers and advertising companies thinks you should look like and what you should buy and the pressures upon you to attract a sexual partner and all of these things that men are now just never been used to women have had it with with magazines around modeling and makeup and this idea of what women should be men have never had that and these yeah. young boys are coming into the world and they've got this perception of they should have big muscles and they should have this and they should have that and they should have this car and they should have all the money and if they don't they're not going to get the girl i mean it's unbelievable pressure upon their shoulders and you know what one of the bigger things is and i was talking about this with somebody yesterday right young boys kids in general right they let's say they you know when they go onto their computers nothing wrong with computers and computer games in my eyes right and long, as long as it's done in, in in the right way and you're not getting super addicted to it they're going onto their computers and they're logging in and they're putting their headsets on now when i was younger and i played computer games 
there'd be six or seven boys in the room. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was so a communal thing, wasn't it? Are we it? connecting with each other anymore in any which yeah. way? No, we're not. We're chucking stupid earphones on. We're, go- we're communicating through social media. We're not seeing how people's facial expressions feel when, you, when you're rude and negative towards somebody. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it makes me lacking empathy. So my, my 10-year-old, she... Um, you know, pen, the pandemic was different and, and you know, there, there wasn't that social and emotional connection with other kids. But we live in a little cul-de-sac where there's a, a number of different families. And I love it when she plays out. Do you remember yes. old school playing out? We just go and have a go. You know what, Sam? And I, I will do this at one at some point when I get when I get the time. But I've been threatening with the with the local hospice we we support. Yeah. Do this thing called, and again, I'm I'm, I'm definitely going to take my name out of it. Um, but effectively, it's going to be called playground games, right? Where we get a bunch of adults and a bunch of kids just to have a massive game of runouts for charity. That sounds to me like an amazing day out. So you know that that connection of like sort of of just like just playing face to face with other kids and being social as opposed to doing that is is i, I think incredibly important so that's part uh one of the uh interview with sam part two is next week russ right yeah part two yeah and um, then we've got part three okay so we've got three parts uh, of, of sam's interview enjoy it all three and we are ending as we always end Charlotte is ready, willing, and able. It's joke of the week. Okay. Someone stole my mood ring yesterday. Still don't know how I feel about it. She read to school your face there. <laughs> I saw that. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that joke. <laughs> um, and on that note, <laughs> have a lovely week, and we will see you next week on The Kindness Project. Bye. Bye.